What's going on, beautiful people? This is Ryan Turner, your registered dietitian, here to fuel you. And several times a week, I'm delivering impactful five-minute shorts and amazing guest stories and lived experiences, all to help you overcome and control binge eating, improve performance, and support your body composition goals. And just remember that if it's working for you, your health, your mindset, and your definition of success, no one deserves to tell you different. You do you. Fuel you. All right. We're taking this in a different direction. And by different, I mean, I'm incredibly excited for this because we're bringing uh, a renowned chef in right now coming to us from Philly. Um, This is Chef Billy Riddle, which I will let him introduce himself in a second. But before we get there, I always love when someone can introduce themselves with food in the form of a meal that you cook. I'm assuming maybe you might. Uh, But if you were to introduce yourself to me, the listeners, without us ever knowing you, what would you be sitting us down to? You know, Ryan, thank you, for, first of all, for having me here. But I, th- I think the um, it's not one meal. It's not one dish. It's kind of a bite for me. Um, and we have a dish on our menu. It's a date truffle. Or we, it kind of comes in and out of our menu. And it's, I don't know if you've had that before or you know what it is. It's kind of like a chocolate truffle, but completely dates. And you take a medjool date, turn it inside out and you roll into a, a light ball, you don't pack it up, and you toss it into like pomegranate molasses, lightly, just like a kiss of it, and dust it with um, a cashew streusel. So it's very nutty, sweetie, sweet, sour, and just fun. Like it plays with your palate in so many different ways. And that's how I like to see myself. I like to, I like to entertain when it comes to like giving you food. I like to, that's how I am as a person, very active, I'm all over the place. Um, I am nutty. Sometimes it can be very sour, um, but I just like to be fun overall. And that's what keeps us like what I'm doing, you know, moving around. That's beautiful. I love, I love the imagery here. I love the words you're using um, because it's a little bit of why I wanted to bring you here. And we're going to get into that um, in a second, but uh, very selfishly, I always like to go through kind of how I like to listen to podcasts. So I want to know who you are, but I also love to kind of sit there and listen and like look up the person um, that I'm actually listening to. So uh, where can people find more about you if they want to right now? Okay, so if you can find me on IG, um, my my Instagram handle is at Chef Billy Riddle, uh, but I do a lot more stuff uh, with Chef Jen, my partner, um, on Eats. So it's at E-A-T-C-C-C underscore. And that's our company, Carol Couture Cuisine. Nice. And you do a lot of the, you being, again, an amazing chef yourself, you do a lot of the media stuff behind that. So in terms of the filming, um, editing, I'm assuming posting as well, is that like, if we're looking at those pictures, we're looking at this beautiful food, we're reading, I don't know, the language behind it all. Is that really you? Uh, for them, not, we kind of divvy up the, the tasks at hand. Like okay. Jen does take a lot of great photos, but I do, when she's like, they're doing her thing in front of the camera. I'll either be offset taking pictures, taking video. Like I, we, we both do it, but I do it a little bit more. Um, and I also do streaming. So it's, I've shifted from food to like <laughs> learning media and it's a whole new ball game. Yeah. Got it. And I think that is a, again, exactly where I want to go with this just in a second. Um, but one more thing before you get there and just knowing that you are a chef right now and someone could be thinking, how do you become a chef? Why? Right. So why mm. do you do what you do? 
You know, I think it has a lot to do with like just making people feel good. Like when you're in the kitchen in a restaurant, you're you're you want to serve people. It's something you you want to put your heart on a plate a lot and make people feel like they're nourished and just feel happy and, and like you're building way more than that in that atmosphere. But I guess if you like filter it all down, it's that's the base for it for me. Making people feel good. So making people feel good through food. Mm-hmm. I um okay. So here, I I just I have so many questions and I'm so excited. But there was one thing that I was reading this morning, um, and formulating a thought with this too. So as I kind of put this together, um, we have we have uh, you and Jen, your partner, mm-hmm. um, have built this amazing uh, restaurant. First of all, let's kind of start there down in Philly. And what's and what's the neighborhood in, in Philly that you guys are 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 in or Spice Fincher Restaurant is in? Yeah, so we consult for a restaurant called Spice Finch, um, and it's in Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. Okay, it's right. It's right off of between Locust and Chestnut Street, or Chancellor okay. Chancellor and Locust Street. It's it's awesome. It's it's so fun. It definitely is like where we have a lot of we have a lot of pride there. Okay, I know I'm I'm very familiar with New York neighborhoods. What is that neighborhood like? It's like, oh, uh, it's. It's a shopping district, sort of. It used, okay. I mean, it used to be a lot. I mean, before the pandemic, it was very shopping centric. A lot of food. Um, it's kind of like Central Park, I guess. Okay. It's very, very small. Much smaller. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Central Wait, Park is a pretty big park, so I think anything compared to it would be kind of uh, unfair in that respect. But um, Philly is such a beautiful city, um, and you guys and help help me understand. You mentioned consulting for Spice Finch. What exactly mm-hmm. does that mean? So that means like um, we come in, we we present food to them, and we present menus that that align with with the brand. And um, the let me just maybe speak more about the brand itself. Uh, okay. It, the the origin of Spice Finch, it's Spice Finch is a bird, and it travels around the Mediterranean. And when it's full and happy, it sings. And we just felt like that felt so felt so great for us uh, with, especially with how we, we approach food and it, tra- it traveling around the Mediterranean was big for us too, because like, just because you're in the Mediterranean doesn't mean you can't travel around, you know, certain areas of the U S like we try to take the, the concept of Mediterranean and put it in Philadelphia to an extent, but we, we mostly inspired by Mediterranean food. So uh, for example, we just, we just did a new menu change recently and we put like moussaka on the menu. Like we don't, some of this, you know, the simple things, the simple dishes that you, you would be accustomed to, you don't want to abuse and change too much, but we, we have room to be creative and I don't know, and experiment when we see the opportunity with like ingredients from here or people we meet here who make certain ingredients that are very similar to the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Okay. Got it. And yeah, cause this is, I know spice finch is, um, at least it's described. I was looking even over the menu earlier, uh, modern Mediterranean. Um, and I think where I wanted to go with this is that, you know, all the flavors in there are amazing. I want to get to flavor cause I want to get to like this yeah. discussion around satisfaction. Right. And I said this to you before offline, just where I, I, I want to bring this idea uh, of people finding that sweet spot between um, 
satisfaction, satiety, and biological need. We're getting everything that they kind of need, but I think without the satisfaction, you know, I think shallowly, um, uh, the flavor of foods, right? Just enjoying your food is one thing, but I mm -hmm. think also like the process of cooking, the quality of food, where you get it, how we're interacting with people. Um, and so looking at this menu, and you tell me if this is the old menu or not at Spice Finch, like I was seeing some things that I wasn't exactly familiar with, but it's just like, oh, I want, it was, I think I saw Shabazi fries, uh, shirmula, right? Yeah. Uh, Mumara, like all these things, this like date braised um, uh, lamb shank. I saw buttered corn puree, this toasted cold cream. I think we're getting into, into like desserts now, but this all sounded so good. But um, let's come back to that in a second, because I think there was one thing that I thought was interesting that I was reading about, which was when the pandemic hit for you guys, obviously, you know, it shuttered a lot of restaurants, not just in Philly, across the world. Um, but one thing in particular that I was kind of connected with was how food changed for you guys. Um, the way that you were able to interact with, with people and get your food in front of people and get them interested because the pandemic, it stripped away all of the human interaction and the hospitality that I think does come along with, with enjoyment, with satisfaction, right? Mm -hmm. And so once, once, that, once that hit, I think you had to sell food online. You needed to communicate flavors. You needed to show it, you know, in, in images and videos, you had to kind of talk about that. You had to put it in enough descriptors to like, make sure, like, I don't know if the menu had to change that point. Right. Because now no one's walking into the restaurant, smelling the food and being like, Oh, what is that? I want to try it. Um, can I'm, I'm kind of leaving this somewhat open-ended. Can you kind of describe how you guys needed to shift from being in person to now like getting your food in front of people in a different way? I guess, I mean, to sum it all up, it was very a fight or flight scenario. It was very much only strictly that. And uh, people in the kitchen, especially get very antsy, like all of us, we, we, we don't have, we need more patience. <laughs> so for us to like kind of jump into things, it was just us trying to problem solve very quickly. And it was the, the one thing that we saw happening a lot. And one of my friends in New York actually works for a streaming company. I think it's called Livestream. Okay. And he was like, he's like, guys, I love the fact that you're putting all this content out. Like you really are doing a great job, but like, I think you need to start like capturing it more and like, just, just save it. You don't use it. You don't use it. It's practice, but you need to preserve it. And cause there might be somebody out there that really needs this right now. He's like, what you guys do is like basically black magic. You, you're wizards of your craft. And a lot of us out here, we don't know what the heck we're doing. And I was like, for us to hear that sometimes, and I know Jen says this quite often, like we may say something's easy, medium, hard as a recipe, but for somebody like you or somebody else, an easy recipe could be a hard recipe. And it's just, we've spent so much time in our craft and developing you know, all of these techniques that make, that make it easy for us. Um, and I'm sure it's very similar for how you approach like training and like dieting, all that stuff. Like, you know, it so well. So therefore it's much easier for you to like preach it. And um, when we basically went down that path, we we're like, all right, we really had to recalibrate and we had to define, define like, okay, what do we need to deliver to people? What do people want? And what do we want people to see from us? Cause like you, there's a, Part of this where you kind of have to separate yourself from you know other chefs there's a lot of people out there doing this stuff already and think about 
more people who've just been like told this, like, hey, put your stuff out on video, do classes, flooding the market now. So like everyone's doing this. So we're all kind of learning from each other, like successes, failures, talking to one another too. And in the food scene, like chefs don't do this. They don't do like the normal chefs, they hate this. And so it, I found it as like a good thing for us because Jen, Jen does this all the time. She's, she's on the camera, she was on Top Chef. She, she's accustomed to this, so it's natural for her versus somebody in the kitchen, like, like I feel like she's more natural than I am, but I've learned a lot through, through like, you know, working with her and seeing how she works and operates through like interviews, cooking classes, TV. And it allowed like all these things kind of just kind of started shifting in very slowly and it just started making sense. We definitely were building a plane while we were flying it a hundred percent. Got it. And, um, I think a lot of people were right. And I yeah. think that you guys just did it so well. Um, and what let's, let's go this direction here. Let's first talk about kind of like, um, the satisfaction side of things. Was there any challenge in the way that you guys had to present food, cook food, change ingredients, change flavors, um, to continue selling when, uh, you weren't able to give every other bit of the food experience to people. Yeah, that was probably the biggest part and still remains the, the hardest thing ever because um, people need to see, smell, taste. Like that's how we train people in the kitchen. So if, because we couldn't do that, we had to really like describe things more. We really had to kind of, we, in our recipes, we were tagging all of our ingredients to ingredients we would purchase that would mm -hmm. make sense for the recipe we were making. And I know a lot of people like bloggers do that and like it's automatic, but we were manually doing this stuff and because we needed some consistency. We, were, we wanted everyone who was cooking with us to, to have a success. Like they wanted, we wanted them to be successful. Yeah. So that was one way we were able to manage that. And another way was just feedback, like asking everyone, you know, how is the, how is it going and trying to empower them to kind of share that. But that's a whole different conversation because you're, you're asking somebody to do another thing. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very, that's very, very difficult for us, but we're learning. And I think we're developing a new way to, to figure out if people are satisfied. Um, and it's, it's kind of fun <laughs> in, a, in yeah. a weird way too. Yeah. So uh, I think a lot of what you're talking about too, right, with Spice Finch and then getting into more of the virtual classes, the, um, you know, the group classes, the more, even more of the consulting, that really is all through the larger umbrella of Carol Couture cuisine. Is that correct? The CCC? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so when you when you end up having these classes now you you know i'm hearing you you're definitely saying we you know we feel like this could be easy we feel like we like these ingredients um how have you found that people are really able to include more flavor to enjoy their food more um you know is there something you found that was surprising or hard for people that they've been missing or things that they were doing wrong that you have to reteach again Really, like, how can we get down to making that food a little bit more satisfying for, for ourselves? I think one way that we've learned quickly how to make that happen is to have somebody around, like, just, just around you that is not of your caliber. 
we have uh, our event coordinator. Her name is Carrie. Um, amazing person. She's like a social media guru. But she's around filming too when I'm busy uh, cooking or prepping or something. Mm-hmm. And she'll like seeing her get like her eyes light up over something so small is <laughs> an indicator for us to know nice. that other people feel the same way. And that's the same thing we do in the restaurant. Like when it's, we ask servers how, how the guests like the food, we don't ask the, the cooks. We don't ask the, I mean, the managers too, we ask them as well, but they're like directly talking to the people. They see them enjoying it. They see them eating it. They see, we see that happening. That's our, like, that's our measurement tool. And um, I think I'm definitely going off tangent, but no, uh, that's one way that we have found it to be successful. No, that's, I think that's exactly, that's right on. Um, have you found that when you end up asking the servers or you, um, you know, uh, for their own personal opinion, or you get the feedback from customers that there's kind of overlapping themes where maybe it's like, okay, we don't need to use that ingredient anymore. It's like, maybe there's not enough appreciation or it's like, you have to use something like more than, is it like, you know, something I always think about, uh, uh, really is, is when, you know, I always tell people restaurants stay open with salt and butter. I could be wrong. And maybe I'm like bastardizing the whole idea of that, but I'm like restaurants stay open with salt and butter. So to to assume you're going to go to a restaurant and get something that's going to be low calorie, you're wrong and no fault of theirs. It's you want flavor. We're buying flavor. We want that. We want salt as well. So don't go in there thinking you're getting something low sodium if sodium is going to be an issue for you. So butter and salt, keep, keep it open. Is there something besides butter and salt that keep restaurants open that we wouldn't know about? Garlic. I feel like garlic's a easy thing you should always have in a restaurant. It just gets you hooked immediately. Like it's yeah. so simple and dumb, but delicious. No, it's not. That's something it's like, do we have to be looking at so many other ingredients to find that satisfaction in, in there? One other con- one other con- uh, connection that I always see between satisfaction um, with food is overall food quality. And I'm actually reading a really interesting book right now. Um, it's called The... Uh, the end of craving. Um, and it's really interesting because what, what it's basically getting down to is how, you know, we, at least in the U S are using a lot of food. That's very, um, nutrient deficient, the way that it's grown, right. Um, the way that we procure it, right. Uh, we prefer to have volume over flavor, right. Sometimes, um, and so food quality, I think is important, right. To get flavor, to get nutrients, the aesthetic of your food. Right. But I think that quality and satisfaction can be very much, uh, connected. Have you found that as well in the restaurant or have you found that within any of like the online classes and stuff? Well, we definitely try to, to focus on quality all the time. It's something we, and and buying local, like for many reasons, carbon footprint, but like the, the flavor does reside there quite often. And especially when you're in a season, like right now it's fall for us on the East coast. And like, it feels good when you see apples and they're at their peak. Um, pomegranates are going to be rolling in pretty, pretty well right now. And like, if you have any of those things in off seasons, you do see a difference in like flavor yeah. um, as well as like fish, like fish has a season too, depending on where you're getting it from, like in certain areas. And uh, with like cooking recently, I like been with working with you, I've been uh, like, I see fish on, on my, my meal plan. And I'm like, I'm not going to go to 
Acme or Harris Teeter, because I know you're from DC, um, and get that salmon. I'm going to get salmon from my local purveyor who I work with all uh -huh. the time. And I think one thing it's kind of, uh, one thing I'd like to share with people out there is like, you have access to these people too, most of the time. Um, in DC, there's a company called ProFish. You can buy directly from them. You can get the fish right from the dock. And same in Philly, we work with a company called Samuels and Sons. And they have a whole market dedicated to this. And I think it's so important that when you're when you're trying to invest in these the quality ingredients, you're talking to the people who are providing it. If they don't mm -hmm. know what they're talking about, just pass, just move on. Either find somebody else in the department or like a manager that can really like talk on behalf of it. Like don't get upset. But you know, try to try to do the work as much as you have like time for it. Yeah. And just talk to them because you might learn a lot in that moment and it, they might, you know, introduce you to a new fish next time that you see them or a new, like a, from a farmer, you might get like hooked on like a new vegetable that you've never had before or never heard of. And it could be an, an exciting experience too. Yeah. That's, uh, that's actually, I never, I mean, I guess I do, I do think of seasonal with like fish. I, I obviously think of seasonal with like some, um, mainly fruits and vegetables, not so much meat though. Um, and I'm sure it does change the quality, right? Because if you are like, uh, we're going to be traveling to Colorado in the next uh, like two and a half weeks here, like I'm not going to go out to Colorado and I'm not going to be getting any like surf and turf. I'm not going to be getting any, you know, any clam dishes or any, anything like that at all. Um, but in terms of like, seasonality and quality and again i don't want to i don't want to beat this too hard here but with uh with that satisfaction side of it do you usually find that that uh that people in the restaurant can end up tasting the difference in terms of local in terms of seasonal in terms of that quality are there are there certain foods you're like look if we get that and it's not going to be quality, people are not going to be satisfied. They're not going to enjoy their meal. And there's other things that maybe you could, you know, take into account globalization a little bit more and maybe, you know, think about getting that kind of stuff that maybe is off season. Are there certain ingredients that you just, you every single time needs to be local and seasonal? Uh, this is, this is very tough. And like, okay. I say that because like from a economic standpoint for a restaurant, it's really hard mm. to be a hundred percent like local, like, and I don't know like the, the percentage, but by just including a little bit of local cuisine, whether it's your farmer, fisherman, um, anything else, your, your cheese maker, like just having a little bit of it, you don't have to do, do everything, but just having them around, knowing that they, they're, they're A, being like, you're buying stuff from them, period. Um, but that it's an option on your menu is huge because restaurants make money off of like, figuring out clever ways to stretch things and, and to sneak things in. That's mm -hmm. how, that's how restaurants used to roll all the time. And yeah. it got to a point, in my opinion, like to a point where it just was, it hit a, hit a, a very, uh, a very crazy ceiling. Like stretching things was good to a degree. Like we, we stretch things in for like staff meals sometimes because you want to, to make sure you're not spending a lot of money on, on, on food for staff, but you want them to feel nourished. And that, that was one thing that's always, it's always hard in, in, in our business because you're taking the time to feed people in your restaurant, but you have also, if you think about like your, the cost of the staff, like your labor, 
And if you have all this money going to creating staff mill, you're going to be bleeding money out and making mm-hmm. nothing like your margins are so slim already. So it, it, it creates this really big battle and you'll see a lot of kitchens just like fry food. Like they will literally just like fry food, buy pizza. And um, it's kind of from, from me dealing with my health uh, stuff after over, over time, I was trying to push in the opposite direction. It was so hard though, like to create that within within the ecosystem of the restaurant. People want it. And then you kind of get excited about those who who do already love that too. So it's, it's it, I guess I've heard this before in your podcast, put yourself in, around people who, who are, you want to make the change with, like you want to be around those people that are healthy, active and like working out, like be with them. And it's kind of like the same mindset with the restaurant industry. Like there's so many people working so hard and they're eating unhealthy already. You kind of, I would gravitate to people who are eating I guess I don't want to say healthier, but better for themselves to kind of allow them to have more energy for their day. Like I got, I was so interested in that. Like, how are you able to be serving uh, 50 tables at once or with yeah, 50 tables, 25 to 50 tables right now by yourself and like moving the way you are and knowing the knowledge you know about food, wine, service, like how? And it, it was really awesome to kind of see that. I didn't dive into it enough. But every time that I see it all the, every time I see it, I always ask those questions like, all right, what are you eating? How's your day going? I just, I'm very interested in how they're performing. And mm-hmm. it, um, cause I feel like I can take a little bit from them, like a, a little bit. That's really interesting. Um, and that's, and how, how do you bring together? Cause I, I, I know, and this isn't even something I was thinking about bringing up here. Um, but I know that, uh, you and Jen do end up getting involved in uh, some community work that is more around really, I guess, clinical nutrition, um, but healthy eating in general. We don't have to go go like so, you know, therapeutic. How do you bring together that healthy eating in a restaurant and still being able to kind of sell food, right? Because there's that there's that weird, you know, thought or uh, I would say a myth that like, you know, restaurant food can't be healthy. Um, and I think I, I heard one time I'm going to now butcher this, but just the thought of where where does a restaurant's responsibility start and stop when thinking about how to feed someone healthfully and have them feeling good, not just during a meal, not when they leave the restaurant, but when they wake up the next day too. Um, and I, I, I always thought that was really interesting because you know, we, we can go to a restaurant and we can have this instant gratification and get all this fried food and like all this, you know, um, you know, f- very satiating food, right? From a volume yeah. standpoint, it can be incredibly satisfying to wake up the next day. We're just not feeling good. Um, how do you sell healthy food in a restaurant? Or maybe let's get away from the restaurant. How do you even through your online classes, how do you get people interested in eating things that maybe are a little bit more healthful? So I'm going to pivot this to Spice Finch first. Okay. And how we, when we were developing the menu, the first menu, everything that we created, we tried to create it as a vegan option first. Interesting. So if we were inspired by a dish that, example, beet borani. Beet borani is, uh, it's a, a spread that has beets that are pureed and like kind of chunked up. So it's, you have these tech, playful textures with it. And it has like uh, yogurt inside too. And 
me not knowing much about nutrition, I just went, okay, I'll just take out the ingredients that, that would make it uh, not vegan and, or sorry, make, take out the ingredients so it would be vegan. Sure, yeah. And now it's a vegan dish. Um, and that's how we kind of moved along with everything we created there. And it was a process that we did for every single dish. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not trying to say we try to create a vegan restaurant. I just saw a lot of uh, positive positivity coming out of like um, cleaner eating or like less. More plant-based? Uh, more plant-based, yeah. Uh, more plant-based and less filling food that just makes you like sleep. Like it just made sense for from the people I knew around me who were chefs in that field. And so it, it's completely challenging for somebody who doesn't do that already. And that's where I found a lot of fun and kind of selfishly for myself, I wanted to eat it anyway. So if we would present it to our partners and they liked certain things, like they didn't like things or they liked things, they didn't like other things. And we kind of said, all right, if you don't like this, we'll add, you know, th- um, a short rib to it or something, a ribeye um, to make it seem like something for the, the general public mm-hmm. and for the and for the restaurant and the brand. So it definitely is a huge process for us. And when you talk about virtual classes, we just kind of try to approach the same thing. But nowadays, we're just trying to listen more. And I think by listening, we can just be as creative as we as we want to be. We can if somebody says, you know, I just want Brussels sprouts so bad, I've been craving them. You can you can add bacon to Brussels sprouts, no problem. It's that's easy. But can you smoke something and replicate that and give you the same like satisfaction as you would get from like something that's smoked? Smoked has so much. Anything smoked has depth, and and its umami is like umami flavors there, and that's what kind of gets you hooked on like a lot of meats already, mushrooms. Um, so you, we might have just smoked mushrooms a certain style of mushroom that kind of gave you that like crispy chewiness that you'd get from like pork belly or bacon itself. And that's where it becomes fun. And I've never thought of it this way until we talk now yeah. uh, for the specific thing. So it, it's fun like to think that way and try to be creative on the fly. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So I'm hearing smokiness, you know, I talked about butter. I talked about uh, salt and stuff like that. I wouldn't have placed smokiness. Is there, is there a quick way to kind of get that, that kind of flavor into a dish. If someone wants to, they're going to remove meat. They want to get that flavor in there. Is it just like, is it like liquid smoke? Can you do that or no? Is that just there, like, no, there's a couple of ways to do it. And um, one way that we, we do it currently is we, because our kitchen is very tiny at Spice Finch, very small. Um, okay. And usually when you're smoking things, you need a lot of space. You need a very like big hood system that has, has to be cleaned out like weekly or else you have a huge fire. Um, but you know, we, we use a smoked oil and smoked salts. Um, there is liquid smoke, but like we try to save that for like last resort uh, by using these like quality ingredients. Uh, I forget the, the, the brand name for the, the smoked oil, but it comes in a green bottle. I think it's from Italy. Don't like, don't hold me to that, but it's very, very, very good. And, and flavor is delicious and other smoked oil on the market um, tends to be very bitter, stringent and like just it lacks that complexity that this company puts into it. And I can definitely send you a link for that if you'd like it to. Please. I mean, that's just, I think that's, you know, getting, getting down to um, someone like yourself who understands food, understands flavor, understands, I think the other side of it about presenting food to people and making it enjoyable. 
how can we still do that and make it healthy? So kind of to answer that question that I was asking you before, yeah, you can, you can definitely do that. You're playing with flavors, you're playing with textures, you're, you're putting a dish together in a different way. And it's not just popping out the protein um, and putting some bland tofu in there. It's like, no, let's think about how we can change it. And I think that's so important because I know I, I definitely don't push a a vegan diet. I try not to really push any kind of diet that way because it will, Hey, let's, let's, let's have a few plant-based meals in your week. Let's make sure we're going to end up having a little bit more animal-based proteins. And there's going to be benefits for both, but there is a way to get to that satisfaction factor, which I think is so important. And I love what you said before too, about, you know, you can do it, but again, quality is going to matter. And I think it's, there, there is a certain percentage of someone's salary. I know that in the United States, people end up spending on food compared to other countries. Like we spend like 15% of our salary on food um, versus someone in a different country, they end up spending like close to 60% of their salary on food because it's something that they, you know, they're pedestalizing, you know, food and the quality and the flavors and like what that kind of means to them like that that food isn't just cooking it to like, just promote satiety. It's cooking it to connect with the family and, you know, uh, make sure that it's like culturally relevant, right. To what they kind of want to do. So I just, I, I think my thing is like, I want people to hear that we don't have to just kind of fill your belly with the things that are necessary. We don't just hit grams of protein and grams of fiber. We can keep that satisfaction right there. And how do you find it for you? And you are just, I, I just love the way that you talk about food and approach food. And so that's where I want to kind of keep that. Have you always kind of been, have you ever, have you always jumped into food? Was this always like a career path for you or no? I thought, I was trying to do something else when I was like leaving high school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And from like being around my grandmother, I know it's very typical, but my grandmother, my, my father kind of. Billy, everyone brings their story back to their grandmother's kitchen or at least, you know, at least their parents' <laughs> kitchen, but it, it always comes back to that. So it's like, it's not cliche. It's just, it is what it is. I guess for maybe a chef, we tend to say it more often. And you're just like, <laughs> oh, grandma, again, you did it to me. But like my father, he made cr some crazy wicked wild food. And he he's a construction worker uh, by trade. And he would make quick meals that were just very satiating to him. And I saw that as a child because my mom cooked. She, well, she cooked. She doesn't cook that much. She wasn't willing to go out and like spread her wings with food. She just cooked normal stuff. And that's it's not that or she also wasn't like taught enough as well so when my father cooked he just i just like was always staring at what he was making i was like he just decided he wanted to make a rack of lamb uh, crown whatever it was like just basically turn it inside out stuff it with rice i'm like where did you come up with this he's like i don't know i just saw lamb at the market and i heard that you could do something like this so i just tried it and it do you like it and i'm like this is pretty good <laughs> But the one, the one thing that got me and that I guess it pinged my creative brain was he made a sandwich. And I always tell this to people because it, it just shows you you can go to town over something so simple. Uh, it was fried bologna sandwich on white bread with um, peanut butter, <laughs> yellow mustard, and bread and butter pickles. And it sounds so wild and like crazy but when you ate it it hit all of those like notes like sweet salty uh, naughty uh, crunchy from the toasted white bread um and then the umaminess from the the fried bologna gives you also like nice texture 
It's so and, interesting. Like, I don't want to dive into saying like, that's the right thing to do. Hey, everyone make that sandwich. <laughs> I don't condone that anymore. But for me, it kind of allowed me to be excited about food in a whole different way and give me the confidence to, you know, get a little crazy sometimes when it came to that. And that's kind of like the date truffle for me. Like it hits all of those notes. But the thing is, how do you simplify that to a person so it's not too much? And that's, that's, that's the hard part. You can put, we tell chefs all the time who work for us, who we meet, who are like, hey, can you try our food? Um, that just keep it simple and you'll go very far. And like, if you just flood everything with every flavor that you want, like that you think makes sense, how about you just start taking ones away that you really don't need? And you'll find out that it's very, very, very delicious if you let that, the main base shine, especially with where Jenna's come from. She kind of taught me that a lot more recently, that um, you let the protein shine, you let the fish shine. Eric Repair would always say that to her. And simplicity is like king. And that's kind of how I've been teaching myself to teach others with how to deal with food moving forward. Okay, got it. And so it sounds like that nostalgia factor is important, but also it's a reminder that simplicity is is really the way to go to not overwhelm people that are trying to kind of uh, enjoy their food a little bit. Maybe I'm kind of off base there, um, but I think it's just a good reminder. Like you don't have to get crazy with your with your flavors too. Um, it, with, with that too, I, I, I do, I do want to be respectful of your time here. Um, with the food that you and Jen are creating, have you found that there are certain trends, that there are certain, you know, food categories that uh, recipes, right, that are kind of catching uh, attention on social more, more, more than others? Oh, man. First of all, there's a trash truck going right now. So if you want me to pause, I can. Oh, I can't hear anything. It's all good. Perfect. Okay, cool. Um, you know, this is very hard because it's, cha it's changing every second. Like today it might be, it, you saw the corn video, right? Like how corn ex blew up out of nowhere. And it was a combination of many things in a beautiful way, but it's kind of hard for the market to deal with that. Like everyone just starts loving corn and then it's gone. But, um, yeah. I think social media is kind of fun in that, in that way too, though, because you can kind of see people being creative with ingredients and and they're like they're people to keep watching because you're like oh if they're creative with that you better watch out for the next thing they make or maybe the next four things they make yeah and, and that's uh i don't really think i have thought too deeply about it but i think simple food's easy for people to kind of like pull, uh to, to feel more confidence with like pizza uh, i think the what the feta cheese tomato dish on tiktok was like the hottest thing in the world for a long time. Oh, like the dip, the you, you, you like you, uh, right? Feta just in the middle and then you and had the pasta like, too. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Okay. I mean, like grocery stores were out of it. So it's kind of mm -hmm. like these simple things, these simple ingredients, one combined gives people confidence because they're like, they're like, if that person can make it, I can totally make it. And they just hit like <laughs> a million followers off of tomato, tomatoes, feta, and pasta. Why? Yeah. And like from our side of things, like chefs, we're like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> but it's also a good thing to kind of keep in your mind for like a special for the night. Like 
it was inspired by and they just call it something like traditional like a traditional pasta <laughs> and just incorporate these flavors because then your server has the ability to just you know put it right on top as seen on tiktok but like not use those words if you know what I'm sure saying. sure yeah that's amazing so. it's uh it's 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 funny i'm sure and even in the future there's going to be a lot more of those type of recipes and those types of you know specials that are really kind of coming out that are going to be highlighted on on tiktok or social media that don't even come through your restaurant but you almost need to kind of present it right you need to have it available in a way that's interesting uh, and, like, with there, and there's there are a lot of people out there that don't know what they're doing with food and it scares the heck out of all of us so i'm not saying just go there to tiktok and say like oh this person's like putting pepto-bismol and there are what was it the nightclub chicken <laughs> do not do that do not do not do that i was scared for everybody who watched that video wait billy like, wait did 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 you know anyone who did that though no hey no. ryan come on <laughs> let's just be honest here people are children especially can get a little carried away when they see something and maybe try it <laughs> and then they're passed out like they were on the show uh sorry for any spoilers on the bear i don't know if you've seen that oh. show on, on hulu but uh I, I I would hope that they would not do that. <laughs> I hope we're not going to see it too. Wait, are there are there any other types of things? I mean, that's I think an aggressive example. Any other things that you see people doing with food on social that is just like wildly like off off base for what you think people should be doing? What's what's something else? I think one thing specifically is um, I mean I don't know if they're doing as much now, but there was um, there was a YouTube channel where they would make. A hamburger but like the size of my table and like i think it's kind of been from my perspective in the kitchen it's kind of insulting just you're doing it for view for views yeah and i think it's really it's very disrespectful in many different ways and it seems so silly but there's a lot more to it that can really like uh be upsetting underneath of it all like you don't need to make that food that big yeah there's so much food that somebody else could have eaten yeah. And it's going to be just be put in a landfill and um, it's not cool. It's just not yeah. cool for like the future of for everyone. I, I remember there was a the guy, I think he was in the Middle East somewhere. Right. And he was making these like huge, huge portions of things. You watch him, too. I mean, I guess like I, I never sought him out. But then again, he was always in front of me. So I was doing something that was, you know, algorithms or what were bringing me to get my eyes on his kind of stuff there. Um, but that's you, you kind of mentioned it was insulting to you. Uh, what is it? When, when, when does someone become a chef? Is it really when, through like traditional education and well, the you, time? You know, you know what's funny? I had this conversation with uh, somebody recently and um, he was very adamant about not calling anyone who's not gone through training or led a kitchen. So it's, I think the definition of a chef is like uh, a chef leads a team in a kitchen. Like they mm -hmm. are the leader. If you're not in the kitchen, technically, you're not really a chef. But I feel like, you know, there's a different space for that. You don't have to, um, you know, you don't have to have that, that title. Like there are different titles to have. Uh, you, you create, if you create food, you create food. Like you're a food creator um, or you're a food stylist or you're a, there's just different versions of a chef, but a legitimate chef by definition is a person who's leading a team in the kitchen, like okay. their, their brigade. So on the bear then, was it wrong to just start calling everybody chef? 
That's a French think, kitchen, right? Is that not a French brigade? Well, there's kind of, I mean, I was watching like behind the scenes, like uh, videos of this, and I kind of know the answer to it, sort of. I feel like it was, <laughs> it was um, designed for certain chefs to not remember people's names. Like it would make it okay. There's, I think, I think it is good to say chef, like it's respectful. If you don't know them, it gives them the courtesy. If you're walking to a, like a place where you see that they're cooking or you see they're serving. Um, for me, like, it's kind of weird though, when like I'm walking to a restaurant, like my server's in front of me, like, thanks chef. I would never say that. But yeah. if I saw somebody like in an apron or like, if, even if it's a dishwasher, I would say, hi chef, how you doing? Like, cause you just never know too. So it, it's, mm-hmm. you don't want to disrespect them either. Okay. I got you, man. Makes sense. Um, all right. So this is, this is really helpful. I wanted to make sure that we have this look into how we can look at food. And I think that you present food in such a, uh, an inviting organic type of way that we all could really kind of relate to, which I think is amazing. Um, I think what makes someone a chef is actually drinking water out of a, um, <laughs> out of a court container. So uh, if no one saw that, yes, he's drinking out of a court container. That I think makes a chef right there for sure. Um, I've also worked in a bunch of kitchens myself. So, well, restaurants, I was always front of house. Um, but all that is incredibly helpful. If if someone wants to get involved in CCCs, get their self in group cooking, kind of learn some of these things, get the flavors uh, of Spice Finch, how could they do that? So you can follow us on Instagram. Um, we have, it's e, sorry, E-A-T-C-C-C underscore and go to the bio, our link in our bio. Everything is there. Everything that we do from uh, Patreon to our Spice Club. Like every month we make a new spice and deliver it to our patrons on a specific tier. That's amazing. Um, and like everything, our classes. It's just, it's a lot of stuff. So I, I don't want to say too much. <laughs> I think it's good if we want to elevate food in the most um you know non-intimidating way it sounds like that's what you guys are able to deliver to people not to mention i would totally want to get a different spice every month if that's the case i think that's so interesting um to to have and also a reminder go seek out those professionals or go seek out those experts in your community get to a farmer's market ask about what's fresh what's new what's different like if you have the time you have the bandwidth do it i think it's so important because i do that um i think you know find a butcher find a fishmonger if you can i know people think it takes a lot of time you might end up saying it doesn't um and i think it can for someone but i think it's so incredibly important and once you get that down and you're going more often it just becomes a habit but quality local flavor right? It becomes so much more important. And I think we're no longer just buying for overall volume, right? We're buying for quality and it becomes that much better. So um, anyway, Billy, let's leave it right there. Do you feel like you were able to represent yourself the way you wanted to? Anything else you wish I had asked or you had a chance to kind of bring up? Mm, No, I think we're good. You did a really good job. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, man, of course. Totally. Uh, Well, we'll leave it there. And guys, remember, I'm Ryan Turner, your registered dietitian here to fuel you. And I will see you next time. Take care, guys.